Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... Adult Swim Log. <laughs> we still have our creepy bear starting off the podcast. I forgot I called him that last time, too. Yep. How are you doing today, Eric? Uh, better than you, apparently. Yeah, I'm still... I still have a little bit of flu symptoms or cold symptoms or something, but uh, all that means is I got to... I'm not mental. (laughs) Right. Well, maybe after uh, some of my reviews that I logged, you might think I'm mentally ill. I I absolutely do, uh, but I'll let it slide, I guess. There's no accounting for some people's lack of taste. Yeah. Well, I did... I have been watching a lot more, more movies since I've been at home, which is nice. I'm trying to keep the Christmas thing going. Um, I'm going to jump in with one that I watched that I told you to watch. I don't know if you got to watch it yet. Exit I have not gotten to watch two- it yet. Exit Speed 2008. It's, uh, such a cool little Christmas action movie. It's got those nineties, uh, like direct to video B movie action vibes, even though it was made in 2008. Uh, it's about these like 10 strangers on a bus on Christmas Eve trying to get, you know, home for Christmas and the whole opening kind of sets up their various stories as to who they are and why they're traveling. They got all these like very one dimensional characters, but they all have like a neat hook about them, you know? And then Mm -hmm. the truck kind of, the bus goes up against these, uh, this deranged biker gang, which like chases them off the road. And then they have to hole up and defend themselves against this biker gang throughout Christmas Eve until help comes. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's a really solid action movie. It's got a, just a great eye. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And it gives every character something fun to do. You know? It, it ha- like, it's... Whenever you see like a, a, a movie about a team, people teaming up, I always love it when, when everyone gets to like do something cool in the movie to, to like bring it all together. This movie does that well. That's the key. I like a movie full of Chekhov's guns where everyone goes off at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like not, I mean, it's not a great movie. It's not super serious, but it's solid. It was really entertaining. It had a a very cool vibe, so I recommend it. It's Exit Speed. Ooh, well, I have two movies that I'd like to say a little something about. Uh, One of them is not a Christmas movie, so I'll start with that to just derail us slightly for a minute. Um, I saw the new Wonka movie and I thought it was, I think I heard, but I I haven't confirmed that it's not getting very good reviews Mm -hmm. as someone who could not give less of a shit about Willy Wonka, never Mm -hmm. really watched it as a kid. Like it just wasn't something I was into as a kid. Um, and then when I got older, I saw it and I'm like, I don't get, why does everybody love this movie? It's just Gene Wilder being unhinged for about an hour and a half. And I think that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but like, I don't know, I feel like you have to see it as a kid and be into it to, like, love it. Like, Gina loves, it's her favorite Mm -hmm. movie of all time. Oh So I saw Wonka with zero expectations, Mm -hmm. didn't care about it, and I just thought it was, like, a cute, enjoyable way to spend an hour and a half. Keep it spoiler-free, please, because I have tickets for tomorrow, actually. 
okay. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it and I probably liked it more than I like the actual, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka or whatever the movie's called. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's by the guy who made Paddington, Paddington one and two, which are great movies. So that's why I, I was excited to watch it. I refuse to obey your wishes for me to watch those because I'm 99% sure you're trolling me. I don't think you will like them, but I think anybody, any normal person will love those movies. They're really good. I just, just, that's fair enough. You know, who is quickly becoming uh, one of my favorite actresses to watch. And let me pull her up on letterboxd because I know, um, you know, I probably saw her in a bunch of stuff before seeing her in the unfortunately terrible secret invasion on um, Disney Plus, the Marvel mm-hmm. property. But Olivia Coleman oh, is yeah, a yeah. British actress who just whenever she's on the screen and she is in uh, Wonka as this like shitty landlord lady um who kind of swindles everyone. She's just a joy to watch in whatever she's in. So she was in Secret Invasion. Uh, one of those, you know, like the Crown shows. I think she was in The Favorite or something yep. like that. Favorite. Just this delightful yeah. British woman who I think I would just watch act as a paper bag or something. <laughs> you gotta watch Peep Show, the TV show. That was uh, one of her early things before she got into movies. Very funny. I like how you clarified you were talking about a a TV show. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that the director of, of at least in the Paddington franchise had a, a good eye for finding these great actors for very enjoyable parts. Hugh Grant, I know, is also in this movie, and he was in Paddington Two in a great role. Yeah. Mm. Uh, apparently, Hugh Grant hated making this movie. He did. Oh, really? I guess uh, I read like a little thing. I don't know. It was probably a BuzzFeed article, if I'm being honest, about, mm-hmm. you know, actors who did a role just for the paycheck. And I I'm, I believe that's the article he was in where he was talking about making this movie and how it was all green screened and he hated being the CGI and he didn't know what to do with his body, if they were even going to use it. And then he saw the movie and they'd completely just like taken his face and she CGI'd the rest of it. So he's like, what was the point? Well, I guess the uh, money was the point, or something like that. At least he's honest. <laughs> yeah, he just did not like the experience. Hmm. But he was, I mean, he was Hugh Grant in it. Hugh Grant's one of those people who just plays himself in every movie. Right, like some version of him. Of him. Like, he's got the Hugh Grant way of speaking, befuddled uh, charm, or yeah. something like that. Well, cool, so Wonka, I'm excited. I'll have to let you know what I think, but uh, I was... I'm uh, definitely interested because of Paul King. All right, let me move on to something else I watched. Let's stick with the Christmas spirit I watched from 1975, Solo or 120 Days of Sodom by Pasolini. doesn't sound like a Christmas movie. (laughs) It is not a Christmas movie at all. It's a notoriously uh, graphic... um, retelling of the Marquis de Sade novel uh, really more about um, social commentary on fascist Italy and various things that I was probably went over my head because I am not familiar with the history or the time period it was made 
but it is about these four very powerful men during a time of war who have a lot of money and power, and they basically are like, all right, we're going to get together. We're going to live in this mansion for 120 days. We're going to get a bunch of nubile young teens, and we're going to just basically do whatever we want and live in excess for 120 days. And we'll get these old prostitute ladies to tell us stories about their lives to get us all riled up so we can learn new things to try. With the Nubaya Young Teens, which is a great band name, by the way. (laughs) Right. So it is, I cannot believe this movie was made. It is really graphic. And I'm I'm pretty jaded. You know, I've seen a lot. This is... You've seen things no eye should see. Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, I'm looking at you right now. But um, it's It's true. I I won't fight it. (laughs) But I think the thing is that it's like a high quality movie. You know, it's like Pasolini is a great director. It's like really well shot. It's got a very good budget production design, like really good actors. So it doesn't feel like a cheapo horror movie like that, where you mostly see a lot of the uh, deranged things on screen. So it's got this more like stately period piece atmosphere where horrible things are happening. Torture, rape. There's It's broken up into different chapters. And one of the chapters, I will not say it because it has a curse word in it, but it's called The Circle of Feces. That's the name of the chapter. You mean shit? <laughs> yes, that's the actual translated, at least that's what the subtitle said. So there's like Circle of Pain. And then the second one was that. And it's really uh, gross. Let's just say it's really gross. And Do they hang Wang in it. I don't know what that means. <laughs> show Dong. Oh yeah, yeah, they definitely show Dong. There's hanging Wang all over the place. <laughs> um, and really brave performances by these four guys who are just like, uh, you know, I can't believe that someone would make this movie in like the '70s and not get their career destroyed. But you know, Italy, it's a different different place. <laughs> I mean, did it, are there any recognizable names to, to uh, more casual film viewers like myself? No, definitely not. I didn't recognize anybody, although a so lot of them like have There's not like a young been... Sir Ian McKellen hanging <laughs> wang. <laughs> right, yeah. Nope. But there are uh, people that if you look on Letterboxd, they have been in a lot of movies. So I'm just not too familiar with that, this uh, group of actors. Anyway, um, so besides the shocking value and it's like, uh, spot in cultural history, like as a like a film artifact, it is a good movie. It it definitely you you know there's the the obvious satire there of rich and powerful and and how uh, how they go too far, but it it feels like there's a lot more there than the subject matter warrants. So I would recommend. At least watching it once, if you're a film fan, Solo, or 120 Days of Sodom. Mm. I'm taking us back to Christmas, but not something more cheerful, and something that did shock the absolute hell out of me, and is also older than your dumb movie by a year. (laughs) Uh, I saw the original, for the first time ever, Black Christmas. Oh, okay, cool. I think I told you I was going to watch, but I don't think I told you on the podcast. No, I did. I remember we were talking about there's one famous scene in there. 
that I want. Yeah, the to, call is mm-hmm. coming from inside mm-hmm. the house. I almost yeah. shit my pants when that happened. I was like, yeah. "Is this the genesis of that trope?" It is, as far as that I know. Is yeah, so crazy to me that this movie had that <laughs> in it. I actually, I view this as like a proto slasher. While I was watching mm-hmm. it, I saw so many things that, like the opening shot of the movie, is a first person point of view of this deranged killer going into a house where he eventually kills a bunch of sorority girls. And I was like, this is Halloween. This is how Halloween starts, which came out in what? 78. John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, a years, just a couple so years three, after four yeah. years later, mm-hmm. um, the phone call that he makes, which was the part that shocked me because this is 74 and it is one of the most, uh, graphically lurid phone calls. I think I've heard. Oh in a movie. yeah. And I was like, that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was just shocked that they used that in a movie in the 70s that wasn't a porno, that kind of language. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't associate yeah. with any of those times. Um, but that also kind of reminded me of Scream with the sorority girls answering the phone and just the way that one call mm-hmm. took place. There was a lot in this movie where I was like, this is like kind of the grandfather of slashers, even though probably the least satisfying ending to a movie I think I can remember because the movie is told like a mystery where you're trying to, at least me, I felt like it was begging us to figure out who the killer was. And at the end of the movie, you still have no idea. It's just a crazy person in the attic of this Mm -hmm. sorority house. Um, I don't remember details. You don't or do? No, there were no details. There were no details at all. What stuck it with was a me cool after... ending in the way that um, so like to recap the story very quickly, it is very cookie cutter. It's around Christmas time. There's a bunch of sorority girls in this house uh, and they there's like a murder that happened in the park across the street. One of their sorority sisters is missing. They can't find her. And of course, they're getting these disgusting phone calls. Uh, from someone they've called the moaner who just calls and says gross <laughs> things or says like really weird things. And they decide to do the most sensible thing under those circumstances. Absolutely nothing. Uh, um, except for continue to get drunk and smoke cigarettes and get murdered. Just wait for their right. own demise. Uh, so the end of the movie, the one girl, Olivia Hussey, who I remembered as Juliet um, from the film Romeo and Juliet, which she famously made when she was 15 and did full frontal. And we saw it in English class because we had a substitute. I remember that as well. Watching in high school. Yeah. uh, And she, they kind of make you think that the boyfriend is the killer, which I never thought, because again, that's just such a trope these days. Uh, But she accidentally kills her boyfriend. She is the final girl left of all these sorority sisters. And the movie ends with the cop, uh, who is the best. John Saxon is in this as the police officer oh, who wow, is yeah. like <laughs> the dad from Nightmare on Elm Street. I feel like he's been a cop in a bunch of these slasher movies or like mm-hmm. some kind of adult authority figure. And they go out, they just leave her alone in this house that is like still an active murder scene. And it ends with showing the killer doing his weird like little laugh thing that he does. Um, so you know that it wasn't the boyfriend who killed all those people and made the calls from inside the house. It's this mm-hmm. person who Random there's no person. context for who this person could be. Just a guy living in the attic, I guess. 
I know. Yeah. So I saw this at Exum Films a long time ago. And yes, the call coming from the house, I thought was a great scene when I saw it. And that was really fun. And I don't remember much else. I remembered that, that afterwards I thought it was like a, a competent slasher. Yeah, it was fine. And I, I see yeah. definitely like the the early um, versions of a lot of things that would come to be like defining elements of the slasher genre later on. Yeah. So I appreciated it. I just was not a fan of the ending. And I love endings where you don't really get the killer. Right, right. But, like, I still want to know who the killer was. What a weird career Bob Clark has had. You know, he made his, he made this and Christmas Story. <laughs> and Baby Geniuses 1 and 2. Uh, you know, Porky's Rhinestone with Dolly Parton and, and uh, Sylvester Stallone. Like, he's a wild man. That's crazy because uh, I just won a round of, well, not me, my team won a round of A Christmas Story, and I was like, there's no way that's the same Bob Clark. So it yesterday, totally <laughs> I had a Bob Clark double feature, apparently, and didn't even realize it, because we had the we watched the movie, went to uh, Christmas Story trivia, and then I watched this at night when I got home. Do you remember any? Congratulations on winning, by the way. We won one of the two games. Do you and remember any of the questions? I mean, it was things you would expect. Not mm -hmm. off the top of my head, but it was, you know, okay. how many shots does the Red Rider BB gun hold? What's in the stock besides a clock? Um, mm -hmm. who was the, uh, this is one we got wrong, was who was the DJ that signed the letter from Little Orphan Annie. So two people, Little Orphan Annie signed it, and the name of the DJ who was the host oh, of the radio God, show. I have no clue. <laughs> we were very close on this. Uh -huh. The answer we gave was Pierre Wayne. The actual answer is Pierre Andre. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, you would have done better. You did better than I would have. I was not the linchpin to the team, but I did know more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Good uh, Christmas movie to fill in some of your Christmas watching this month. Oh, here's a good question, and you should know this. Uh -oh. Who are the three people in the movie who tell Ralphie he'll shoot his eye out? One was his mom. Who were the other two? Okay. Um, let me think. I'm going to go with Santa and his teacher. You're correct. Do you know the teacher's name? Mm, no. Miss Shields. No. Oh, Miss Shields. Okay. <laughs> what uh what letter grade did Ralphie thought he was going to get an A plus 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 what right. grade did he actually get on his English theme? Oh god. Um I don't know. Was it like a C minus? C plus, close. Okay, cool. <laughs> I remember Yeah, I think C. I'm at. I think those are most of the questions I remember. Cool. All right, is there any other movies you want to talk about? Uh, nope, just what we just uh, the one we want to light on fire, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. So, for our main topic today, we watched Adult Swim Yule Log 2022, directed by Casper Kelly. In classic Adult Swim style, a traditional Yule Log fire hides something dark and strange. 
The first few minutes may warm the cockles of your heart, but soon you'll be knee-deep in a tale of murderers, evil magic, aliens, and sentient wood. So That's a very fair description. Yeah. Um, so this is essentially, it starts out, it's kind of like a found footage movie, where we're watching a crackling Yule log for a few minutes, and um, in this like log cabin, and then the maid comes onto the screen, or a housekeeper. Um, the camera does not move. You just see her legs walk by, and she starts kind of cleaning the house, and then someone breaks in and murders her. And you kind of see, you know, some blood and things like that. And then the stars of the movie come into the cabin, a couple, young couple who have been together for uh, a while, and they're uh, taking a little vacation, and they come into a cabin, and they're like, oh, look, the... Uh, Fire, someone left the fire going, and um, and then they kind of just get comfortable in front of the camera. Like, the camera pans back so you can see, see the whole room. And it turns out that the guy in this relationship, his side hustle is he films these fireplaces, um, Yule Log things, and puts them online on YouTube for people to watch. So that was the camera that was filming this. And he leaves it running so we can see what happens for most of the rest of the movie. I actually really enjoyed the first 30 or so minutes of this movie Mm -hmm. where it was just the static shot, Um, especially after it pulls out. There's another group uh, much in the vein of um, the Justin Long movie Barbarian. Yes. Where this other group of people come and they also had reserved the cabin. So there's like six people now in this cabin. It's very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because he had proposed to his girlfriend who did not actually say no, but was definitely saying no, not now. Right. Um, and then, you know, the log killed the guy in the shower and I was like, what is this? And it just kind of <laughs> spiraled for me. It spiraled out of control. Whereas yes. um, they did some interesting things where they kept the camera shot, but they would kind of like go to uh, a civil war ish era kind mm-hmm. of or pre-civil war i guess because there was a slave owner and they would go to these kids in the 50s in the same room yeah. showing the same fireplace same camera angle History and i thought the they house. could have done something yeah interesting with that and showing all of the crazy things that happened in this house um but right. instead they decided to go into the absurd which is fine it just was not my not my cup of tea when aliens start showing up and sucking up people's eyeballs <laughs> You know, I liked the tension of there's a killer. I thought they had that really cool shot where at first there was, um, I think it was a wine, yeah, uh, the like a bucket or... for a wine, and there was a reflection. And every once in a while, the yep. leather face, as he was in the credits, uh, <laughs> would like open up this door, and you would just see the reflection of him. And he's maybe going to come and kill these people too, or do something, mm-hmm. and then, you know, uh, get scared away like i, I really mm-hmm. liked that part of it but then i did too yeah the yeah, weird two things Go ahead. two things kind of happened um first off it stops the found footage and it kind of breaks into a normal movie uh the way or shot at least you know yes um, yep multiple camera angles etc and following people throughout the house normal movie stuff so that happens and then also um the movie kind of takes a it, like you said it just becomes very illogical it takes a turn into the absurd 
And those are two things that I did not like about the movie. I liked the cleverness of the the opening half hour or whatever it was. And then when you find out that the wood is sentient and can fly around and kill people and that these there are aliens and <laughs> um that you can go there's like a weird weird demon go inside the log that is enticing people to do things in the in in the history of their lives. I was unsure how that all tied together. It didn't tie together. It was just yeah. weird stuff happening in order. Yes. Yep, exactly. I I did not enjoy the last hour of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to mention one plot thing. The piece of wood came from a tree that was used for uh, like a historic tree on this property that was used for hanging hanging slaves or lynching people or various mm-hmm. horrible things in history. And for some reason, the um, main character had cut a branch off that tree to use as in the fireplace. It was kind of vague how that happened. It was very unclear because the, the sheriff comes in and says, yeah. did you find this log in a circle of rocks or something? Mm-hmm. But then it also sounded so it sounded almost like this log was just sitting there as bait, I would assume, for that cult, because there's a cult that's doing whatever, worshiping the demon tree or something. Right, yeah. But it also did sound like the guy cut the, the log off the tree. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know if it was internally consistent with itself or if I misunderstood or Right. Whatever the impetus, whatever it was, that was the impetus for weird stuff to start happening. That the tree was cursed and that the sheriff turns out not to be a real sheriff and part of this cult had done something to like awaken the log while he was in the the room. And once that log is on fire again, weird stuff starts happening. The aliens that we speak of were put into the movie because the people that join them in this cabin are podcasters who do like these conspiracy theory, true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. One of which is about an alien that was seen in some historic photo. And they keep talking about this photo for a little bit and then it's kind of forgotten. And then later on aliens show up. So I, I don't know if that had anything else to do with the movie besides they wanted some aliens in there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, it seems like they just randomly um, threw a dart at a dartboard and they're like, okay, uh, how do we bring aliens in? It seemed like a, a game of yes and gone wrong, gone off the rails. Yes. Like that improv game, yes and. Mm-hmm. So I had seen some of Casper Kelly's shorts previously, Too Many Cooks, um, and they're... The same. Very weird and surreal. He's a good director. Like, he knows how to make things look fun and interesting. But, you know, you can get, uh, for my taste, and I think yours too, it sounds like you can get away with this in like a 10 minute short and just have like weird stuff happen. And you don't, and it's interesting and funny. But like a 90 minute feature, that's just way too much. I, I was yeah. very unsatisfying. It seemed like they ran out of runway with their original concept and didn't know what to do and just decided to do whatever they felt like. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it seemed like, like I really liked, uh, there's a part where 
the Asian character kind of crawls into the fireplace because he's supposed to be super high on drugs on an edible. I think they said he took. So he crawls into the fireplace and he, uh, this little like demon or whatever he is in a suit, (laughs) this um, omnipotent kind of character tells him he'll be successful if he goes and puts a note on the fridge uh, but then it turns out he stabbed his mother with a knife instead of putting a note on the fridge. Right. And when they cut back to the main scene, it's a different Asian man because there's yeah. a joke made earlier about how this one, one of the girls in the second group of people only dates Asian guys. Right. right. Which was like fun and interesting, but kind of just completely out of left field for the rest of the movie, you know? And that, yes. that was kind of my problem. There's no running current. This isn't about just like a weird, fireplace from the beginning it just kind of becomes about that yeah i like uh weird movies where weird things happen but i like them to have at least some sort of internal consistency or logic it doesn't have to be completely explained but it needs to like make uh sense or be satisfying and this wasn't each individual thing was kind of interesting but no like I wasn't a fan of hot tub time machine, but at least you know, okay, it's a hot a time machine or, or a hot tub that that travels back to the eighties. Like, right. This could have been like, oh, it's it's a fireplace that lets you go and explore other parts of your life or see, you know, what mm-hmm. life could have been. It could have been like a fun, you know, do sex machina or whatever. But it yeah, yeah. just is that out of nowhere for reasons. Right, right, and I think that he's. Casper Kelly has built up this audience because his shorts were very well received and people love them. And I think people were like, yeah, do more of the weird stuff. Like the adult swim, weird stuff, weird shorts that you see late at night. Uh, This was the feature version of that. And yeah, I think people really appreciate that style. Uh, I do not. It just ran out of runway before it could take off, I think. Yep, yep. So overall, disappointing. Um, had promise, but just couldn't sustain it. I'm at like one and a half to two stars. I haven't landed. Probably probably give it the benefit of the doubt. Give it two stars. Yeah, I'd give it two stars for what I thought was a really strong opening half hour. I was mm-hmm. so pleasantly surprised, and then it just fell off a cliff for me. Yep. Oh, well. Well, Eric, did you watch something uh, more interesting, I hope? Uh, I don't know if I would say it was more interesting, but it was more enjoyable, although still disappointing in its own right. It's a movie I've wanted to watch, uh, well, I would say for a very long time, but it only came out last year. I finally had an excuse to watch Violent Night. David Harbour is Santa Claus, who... um, from the trailers, looks like he's just a killing machine punishing the naughty. Directed by Tommy Workola, uh, if I'm saying that correct. Starring a whole bunch of people. John Leguizamo and Beverly D'Angelo. I guess that's only two more people. Um, <laughs> and if you're going to watch a movie, if you're the audience, and you see the trailer for this movie, what do you think people really want to see with a badass um, Viking santa claus i mean i want to see him like uh, wreck some uh people that ha- were on his naughty list yeah uh not nearly enough of that in my opinion mm. and kind of um 
almost reticent to do it at first. Santa, David Harbour, I think, does a great job at playing this Santa who's just beaten down. He doesn't seem like he wants to do the job anymore. I think mm-hmm. at one point in the movie, he's like, oh, maybe this is my last Christmas. But you never really find out, like, why exactly? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get little vignettes of him being like a Viking warrior 1100 years ago, but you still don't know how he became Santa, like what no. happened there. And it's just, yeah, what's the thing I don't want to see is um, a bunch of rich people because the people that... All right, let's do like a little bit of a plot summary. Um, there's this super rich family. I don't know if they're supposed to be based on an existing family or not. Beverly D'Angelo is this matriarch. Um, there's this uh, husband and wife who are kind of in the midst of a breakup or already separated, it seems like, with a daughter who is the one who talks to Santa Claus on this um, little radio. And they get taken hostage by John Leguizamo and his military goons who are, after $300 million that Beverly D'Angelo has stolen, were embezzled from the U.S. government. She was given it to kind of broker peace in or in agreement with the Middle East, I think, and just ended up, you know, stealing it or, you know, embezzling it somehow, skimming off the top. Uh, And that's the basic plot is Santa ends up in the middle of this and then for reasons decides to... uh, to exact vengeance upon these all of these military men who are holding the family hostage. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they're just kind of a whole unlikable family, except for the adorable little girl. And what do I not need to see? So we were talking earlier about how, oh, there's an ensemble and you want to see everyone, all of Chekhov's guns go off and have their own little yeah. scene. I don't need to see these people killing you know, trained mercenaries and uh, thieves. But that's what you get. Mm. And also Santa. Okay. (laughs) And it's made by the people, I I didn't look up because I was lazy, um, how these people were connected to John Wick, but it's in, you know, made by the, brought to you by the people who made John Wick. And I'm just like, that's what I wanted. I wanted Santa Wick. Yeah, come and exact his vengeance, you know? And I did mm-hmm. not get it was not nearly as clean, not nearly as well choreographed. Parts of it were good. Uh, but you know, just a disappointment in the way that it could have been great. It's a great concept. It's so much fun, but it could be so much better. Mm, okay. Well, I was uh hoping that would be just a no nonsense Santa at the end of his rope murdering bad guys, but I guess it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's what it should have been. It needed another pass, I think. The script needed another pass. Either leave out all the stuff about the Santa origins or mm-hmm. uh you know, make it important in some way. Okay. Well, maybe Silent Night will be more of what we're looking for. Did you see that yet? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, me neither. I almost went uh saturday but i just just didn't make it all right so let me talk about my movie i was inspired kind of by i didn't want to watch like a straight up found footage movie but i wanted to watch something from a unique perspective kind of like the yule log so i found this movie called wnuf halloween special directed by Ooh, chris, La Mar- chris La Martina. 
2013. Yeah, so this is a told from the point of view, basically it's a cable access channel complete with commercials. And it's like this news broadcast during Halloween of these two corny newscasters from small town cable news network, uh, like VHS cable access show stuff complete with commercials and it's on Halloween. So everything's kind of Halloween themed. And then it's, they keep teasing that you know at 7 p.m. we're gonna have the live, uh, a live. We're gonna do a live shoot from this haunted house, this historic haunted house in town, where this this teenager found a Ouija board in the attic and murdered his parents, and no one's been in the house since, and it's been known to be haunted. And we got a reporter there, and we're gonna do a live séance from this house. So the, the thing builds up, builds this up for like a half hour. It's only 80 minutes which is great. Nice velt 80 minutes. So we build up like this corny cable access stuff for half hour, just random commercials that are all great. And probably, I don't know if they were, some of them were, were definitely shot for the movie, but some of them looked like they were just real found footage stuff that they put in the movie with like maybe different voiceovers. And then we get to see the, the uh, special where this, uh, Pretty annoying reporter guy, very funny guy though, is at this haunted house and everyone outside is dressed in Halloween costumes. He's interviewing them and he goes in the house with these ghost experts and then crazy stuff happens. It's very low key, like nothing incredibly wild, like Yule Log stuff happens. But it's a haunted house, so there's definitely some horror-y things, but it's all like kind of goofy and funny. This movie was very enjoyable, and it kind of gave me the vibe of something you would watch, you put on during Halloween, just in the background, and just watch it, because there's no like real character or plot. It's just like you're watching Cable Access show for 90 minutes. And, but it has that Halloween vibe, and a very like cheesy VHS 80s uh, atmosphere that I think you would appreciate, and a lot of people would appreciate. So... I recommend it. Solid little movie. Nothing super special, but uh, unlike Yule Log, this stuck to its premise and just did something very much in that premise's wheelhouse and just did it well. Cool. I, I forgot to rate Violent Night. I would still give it three stars. It was still mm-hmm. good enough to, you know, if I was bored and wanted a little bit of action, it was good enough to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, you know, I feel like it had the bones of a much better movie inside of it. Mm, okay. Why well, would know, give the... I... Go ahead. Go for it. Can I, I talk about I the would... movie that I discovered last night on Canopy that I wish is the movie I'd watched <laughs> yes, this podcast? Uh, so first of all, I forgot to mention during the movie that that Yule Log thing is a legit thing that is everywhere. There are so many Yule Logs. Yeah, I know. It's Amazon hard to find the right one. There's like a, a dragon egg from Game of Thrones. There's a Rick and Morty Yule Log. Like, it seems like everything has a Yule Log. So that guy probably would have made bank if he were a real person. But secondly, mm-hmm. if you're going to make a movie out of a Yule Log, what is the only way you could match that by making a movie out of a grumpy cat meme, which apparently they did called grumpy cats. Worst Christmas ever directed by Tim oh Hill God. 
starring yep. Aubrey Plaza as the it's voice Grumpy of Grumpy Cat. Cat. I remember um, the preview when this came out. It was so I watched like the first 20 minutes or half an hour and then I fell asleep and it was also not very good cuz there's only I love Aubrey Plaza but uh just yeah. like that snark April Ludgate snark is not enough to carry a movie for 90 minutes and it is a mm-hmm. lifetime movie so it was very corny and terrible mm-hmm. which I think if you're going to make a grumpy cat movie with Aubrey Plaza you have to just let her play and I feel like she was probably reined in a little bit by the lifetime constraints um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, haven't finished it. Did want to touch on it because a movie about a meme is about as close to a movie about a, a stationary fireplace burning as you can get. And I'm really <laughs> sad that I didn't find it until like one o'clock in the morning last night when it was too late for me to finish it. Oh uh, well, maybe you'll finish it and talk about it next episode. Maybe I will. Related to our main topics. <laughs> well. I liked mine more than the Yule Log. Three, three and a half stars. WNUF Halloween special. I would check it out. At least put it on in the background during Halloween. So, Eric, it's time to pick off of your list for next time. I have a movie here that's on, that's on your list that seems like something I would put on my list. It is... Starring Colin Firth and Julianne Moore from 2009, directed by Tom Ford. It is A Single Man. Oh. Do you remember why this is on your list? Nope. Probably because I bought it for the library. No, I couldn't have bought it for the library. I probably saw it at the library, though. Well, I will say that I, I was a big fan of Tom Ford, the fashion designer Tom Ford, his other movie, Nocturnal Animals. So this is the only other movie he made. So I definitely want to watch it. So good. Yeah. What the hell is this movie doing on my list? I just read the uh, description. This does not sound like something I want to watch. Did I think this was an action movie? (laughs) It does. Based on the poster, I can't think that you would think this is an action movie. (laughs) So I was kind of, yeah, I was curious why it was on your list, but. Uh, Well, that's a question I can't answer and I regret putting it there. Such Sights to See, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.